one thing that's a common uh, misconception is that the university president is uh, involved in every single detail of everything that's going on. Last Thursday, University President Robert J. Zimmer and Dean of the College John Boyer took questions from undergraduate students at a forum on free speech in International House. Institute of Politics Director David Axelrod moderated the event, which ended up being pretty wild when a Graduate Students United protest, originally scheduled to take place outside a booth, marched to the lawns outside iHouse. I covered that protest for our video team and teamed up with news reporter Caroline Gzanski, who attended the Zimmer-Boyer Forum, to write a story on the event, which you can find on our website. President Zimmer, I'd like to note, isn't known for his frequent appearances amongst you Chicago students. In fact, in my four years at this university, I've never actually heard him speak, let alone had the chance to ask him questions at a public forum. I wanted to find out more about how student government arranged last Thursday's event, so I sat down with Vice President for Student Affairs, Chase Harrison, to talk about the process, as well as with students Michael Weinreb, Madeline Johnson, and Matthew Foldy, who all asked President Zimmer questions at the event. Uh, my name is Chase Harrison, and I'm Vice President for Student Affairs. And you gave some opening remarks at the Zimmer-Boyer Forum on Thursday of last week. Can you tell us a little bit about what that event was like to plan and what the event was? Sure. So the event originated in a resolution that I spearheaded on College Council, where I served as a third-year rep the year before. Uh, Zimmer had done an interview, I believe, with the Wall Street Journal, where they were parsing out his free speech policy. They asked him quickly if Richard Spencer, a very prominent white nationalist and alt-right leader, could come to campus and he said briefly, that would be allowed. Harrison is referring to a Wall Street Journal business piece by Douglas Belkin, published February 20th, 2017, entitled Why the University of Chicago Opposes Trigger Warnings. I want to read you the exchange. The Wall Street Journal asked, if Richard Spencer, who attended the University of Chicago and has become a leading white nationalist, was invited to speak at the university, would you have a problem with that? Zimmer responds, faculty and students invite all sorts of people, and we don't restrict who they invite. I don't invite people. We offer no restrictions to student groups and faculty. What they want to do is hear, discuss, and potentially argue with the people they invite. Wall Street Journal responds, so if he was invited to speak there, you'd be okay with him coming. Zimmer answers, it would be fine if he came to speak, just like if anyone else came to speak. Um, I felt that because Spencer has really dabbled in the more violent rhetoric that a lot of people consider as in violation of our free speech policy, that it was sort of incumbent upon Zimmer to be, uh, to elaborate on his stance. Um, and it kind of touched upon this trend I had felt where he had been so vocal in the American news media around free speech, but students hadn't really had a chance to engage with him on this topic. So I wrote a letter that was basically like, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, I just think it'd be great to have a conversation. The Maroon actually ran that letter in March of 2017. Harrison signed on to it with 12 other class reps. You can still find it on our website. So this um, took a while. It took a really long time. Uh, yeah, it took a lot of persistence, and it got postponed frequently. And so right after I released that letter, if I remember correctly, Zimmer sent an email to the whole student body that basically suggested that he would not have such an event. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like sort of an honor to be subtweeted, as we would say, <laughs> to the whole campus community. Um, so I actually thought that the event would never happen. Two weeks later, he did an event about free speech at Colgate, uh, where he laid out his sort of thesis on the topic. 
So I came back to administrators and I said, look, if he's willing to do such an event at Colgate, why would he not want to do so at UChicago? In fact, it feels like such an event would be really in line with the free speech policy. Um, and so from those meetings, they were like, okay, we can start to ask him and push for a date on the calendar. Uh, sort of summer went by. I kept sending emails frequently to make sure it happened. Um, they came to me to ask if I would be okay with it being Zimmer and Boyer and Axelrod, which was more than my request. Um, and then it was supposed to be in winter, and then it got pushed back to spring. And then on Thursday, it finally happened. And so you gave some opening remarks. Um, mm-hmm. What did you talk about when you prefaced the event? Sure. I tried to talk about the um, juxtaposition I feel that exists between the way free speech is spoken in the media by figures like Robert Zimmer and the reality of how it actualizes on campus. Um, it's sort of my stance that the problems of free speech are being exaggerated. I think it fits in quite nicely to this narrative that there are these intolerant liberals on college campuses who have these authoritarian tendencies, and if we don't stop them, democracy is going to crumble. Um, and that's being exaggerated by whom? Um, I think by mostly conservative news media, but I think indirectly by figures like Robert Zimmer, um, who use a lot of rhetoric as if UChicago is the only place where free speech truly exists. But then incidents like we saw at Berkeley or at Middlebury where speakers do get shut down or there's perhaps violence, people get hurt. Um, I don't think that there's always a focus on the rationale of the protesters or why they were so passionate. I think it's just this, how could they shut a speaker down if they have a different perspective? But I think there's a lot more nuance to those events that doesn't get reported upon. Of course, because I was introducing the president, I couldn't be maybe as upfront as I wanted to be, but... I just wanted to articulate that students are a little Were your confused. remarks approved beforehand? They were, yeah. Okay. I had sent them to several administrators. I actually thought they were going to be edited more. They were they edited? Were. No, they asked me to like include um, logistical things. Okay. But they did not touch the content of the remarks, I which I appreciated. Yeah. And so can you tell me how the event went, in your opinion? I was happy with the way the event went in that it went. I was concerned a couple days before that... Um, issues on campus that protests would make the event not occur at all. What I found was that students largely operated within our freedom of expression policies. So within the room, I thought students asked really wonderful, hard-hitting questions to President Zimmer on a wide variety of topics. We had questions on free speech, on library work unionization, the business major. Um, I was disappointed in Zimmer, actually, that he did not have full-fledged responses to a lot of student questions. He responded to two of them with, I don't know, or that it would be unreasonable for him to know because he had to deal with so many issues. I mean, and then what was there? Were there follow-ups? Was it just silence? How, how does a president of the university say, I don't know? Yeah, there was follow-ups from the questioners, which I was happy about. So one of them was like, well, can you find out and can you work on this? And We'll follow up with Madeline Johnson about that in a moment. Another one of them sort of questioned how it could be that he didn't know because he or at least his name, had been very involved with the issue. Um, You know, we know that Robert Zimmer is a figurehead. He's a prominent college president. But these are some of the biggest issues on campus that all students probably have some opinion or knowledge of. And I thought that it was uh, really negligent of him to not respond. And then outside the event, of course, there was this major protest that was really audible inside the event, Um, So I was on the other side of that wall actually covering the protest. Everybody stay alive! 
was it like inside? It was a little bit eerie, for sure. Like, you could hear the chants and you could make out what they were saying. Um, at one point, they got quite loud. I think the protesters tried to enter the event. But for me, it really spoke to the issue of Robert Zimmer not having done a public event with students in, from my records, five years. The last one I could find was in 2013. Michael Weinrub actually has a different take on that stat, but we'll get to that later. And so there are so many issues that people want to bring to his attention. There are so many people who are not allowed in that room because it was only undergraduates that it's sort of unsurprising that there would be a lot of anger and that it would be a flashpoint for student protests. I think it really highlighted the need for more forms like this. Um, so it took you, again, going back to the process here, you know, over a year to get this planned. Yeah. What was the rationale that you were being told for, you know, taking this long or delaying the process? Is it just that Zimmer's a busy man? Yeah, that was always what it was, that the scheduling office couldn't find a time. I wonder if that got complicated once they brought Boyer and Axelrod in because they were coordinating three schedules. But So the, the president, if I'm getting this right, of yeah. a university that is now famous for its free speech policies, didn't have the time to speak with his students. For an hour, yeah. That and when schedule he did, was so he couldn't answer some questions that they had. Correct. And that the event started 10 minutes late, and I would say about five, five or six students got their question answered. But there was a longer line. How, how full was the room, would you say? The room was not very full, which was surprising to me. I have a lot of thoughts about why that might be. Um, I really thought that students would revel in this opportunity, and there were pretty full RSVPs, but maybe it was the snow, maybe it was having class. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if students aren't interested or students who are passionate maybe felt that their voices would be better used outside of the auditorium than inside of the auditorium. What do you think about that? I find sometimes that there's an incongruency between demands I hear from students and the actions of students. So I hear a lot that students want to meet with administrators, whether it be a big figure like Robert Zimmer or more recently members of Student Counseling Service leadership. Student government has held a number of sessions all year with Student Counseling Services leadership and now with Zimmer and at all the events, we just don't get substantial attendance. So there's a real question for me as to, to where's the disconnect there. The student counseling sessions are kind of fascinating because they really are looking towards students for some guidance. I think they feel they agree that there's a need for mental health reform and sometimes don't know how to actualize that or what particular demands do students have that they're not meeting that maybe aren't captured in like the surveys that they get. So they've requested several times if we could get students to talk to them, they would really want to listen. So again, I can facilitate those sessions, but I can't make people show up. You know, along similar lines, there have been a lot of debates on campus in the past few years about Title IX, sexual assault. Um, you are running some programming right now through SG, right, um, this month. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, and being the point organization for that, 
month falls on SGE. So we have a pretty full month of programming um, that has a range of topics. So we have like sessions by Student Counseling Services. Um, we had a really great kickoff event featuring student performers. Tomorrow there's a session with most of the prominent Title IX slash disciplinary uh, administrators in this campus. And listeners, when you hear the word tomorrow, that's actually going to be today for you. Yes. So what time is that today? So that would be 1230 to 130 in the South Lounge of Reynolds. Food will be provided. Next, I talked to Michael Weinrub, who had the chance to ask President Zimmer a question at Thursday's forum. My name is Michael Weinrub. I'm a fourth year and um, I'm a member of the Student Library Union. So I started working at the uh, Regenstein Library map collection in my first year. And so I've been working here for four years now. Um, yeah. And How um, many hours a week do you work? I work about 15 hours a week. Um, and um, last, last winter, I guess about a year ago, um, me and some friends um, started um, organizing a unionization drive because, you know, we get paid, like, minimum wage. Um, and, you know, we, after the Columbia ruling, which allowed uh, graduate students um, to unionize, we looked at the details of it and it essentially says that all student workers are allowed to unionize because they are both workers and students rather than, you know, being one or the other. So so the, the library union is actually separate from GSU. Absolutely, yeah. It's a separate union, but, I mean, we have a common interest because the university is denying both of us um, our existence. The university is refusing to recognize either of us, even though, you know, we had a democratically run election. Um, and Was that election around the same time as the GSU election? No. So the GSU election was this October, or this past October, um, the SLU election was in May, and um, yeah, so it was at the end of last year, and 84% um, of voters voted yes, so it was an overwhelming how many, margin. How many voters was that? It was about 80, 80 voters, so it was about 40% of the bargaining unit, which is to be expected because library workers are a precarious group of people, mm-hmm. so um, high turnover, so... The turnout for the election was, you know, pretty moderate, but overwhelmingly, 80, over 80% of the people who came out to vote really wanted a union. And because of your participation in this union, you went to the event on Thursday. Yeah. So, like, as I said, we had this election in May. So, you know, to, to date, it's been, what, 11 months, 12 or 10, 10 or 11 months um, since the NLRB held an election um, and um, since then, the university has just been kind of dragging out the legal process, challenging um, the merit of the election on various grounds, essentially hoping that the new Trump-appointed NLRB will overturn the, the ruling and that they won't have to bargain with us. So um, even though we've been calling for the university to you know, sit down at the bargaining table in good faith and talk to us, like as workers about uh, wages, benefits, and things like Title IX and ADA compliance, um, they've refused. So I wanted to go to this event to, you know, like, talk, talk to Zimmer, ask him why is his administration not prioritizing students, not prioritizing workers, and, you know, why do they, what I, why are they doing this thing that I see as a clear hypocrisy, where 
They claim to advocate for free speech, but when workers speak up, say they want a union, overwhelmingly vote for a union, the university tries to silence us. Uh, uh, my question is for President Zimmer, and it's both in the spirit of discussing free speech with students, and also, no, is this not here? Okay. Um, so my question for President Zimmer is both in the spirit of discussing free speech with students and in the spirit of the National Labor Relations Board mandate that you begin uh, contract negotiations with the student library workers. So um, when student library workers overwhelmingly voted to unionize last May, your administration did everything in your power to silence us and to uh, stall in the legal process to prevent the uh, bargaining that we are legally uh, provided. So my question for you is, will you commit to having the administration's bargaining team discuss wages, working conditions, and grievance procedures with student library workers by April 21st? Yeah, so uh, one thing that's a common uh, misconception is that the university president is uh, involved in every single detail of everything that's going on and is fully uh, conversant with uh, every issue. We have um, literally hundreds of people making important decisions around this who have certain responsibility for dealing with things and uh, I can tell you that there are people who are involved in this thinking about it but I'm not actively so I really can't answer your question. I think Johnny's going to pass it off to you. I can't be more responsive, I just can't be. Okay, next uh, so, question. Wait, so just to follow up, it sounds, it sounds to me like you do not care about the freedom of speech of student workers when we overwhelmingly, over 80%, say that we want a union and that we want to bargain, as well as the graduate students who Zimmer's response was very much uh, an administrator's response, saying that you know there are hundreds of people in the administration who make important decisions, and he just happens to not be involved in making the decisions around the student library workers union. So, um, I wasn't exactly surprised that he deflected, but. It's frustrating because, you know, as the president of the university, it's clearly in his power to say to the other decision makers, you know, this is the vision of, you know, a university that respects the free speech of workers. It's easy for him to say to, you know, the hundreds of administrators who work for him, you know, bargain, like sit down and bargain and talk with these workers. Um, so that was really frustrating for me. Um, and meanwhile, GSU is protesting outside, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is clearly, you know, even if he's not the one directly making the decisions about bargaining, like, he knows that there are lots of people who are very passionate about these issues. Like, he can hear it. Um, he's had, you know, GSU has delivered a letter to him a couple months back at, a, at an event in New York City. Um, like, he knows what's going on. And to me, this is, this is why I, I responded to his response. Um, by saying that it, it seemed to me that he didn't care about workers because like he's aware he's aware of how um, rough our conditions are. He's aware that like we're constantly approaching him and his administrators asking in good faith to bargain to you know speak with us about wages and uh, benefits and working conditions, but he continues to like ignore 
what we have to say. So. so if not Zimmer, whose job is it to be speaking with you and working with you? So the university has a variety of like uh, lawyers. They've um, like they have a general counsel who you know they have on staff who they can have address various things. But they've also hired an outside law firm, Proskauer Rose, and they've been the lawyers who have been really like dragging out these court cases. Um, but there's also the um, there's also like a specific um, position in HR for bargaining. So, you know, Zimmer's not the guy who would be bargaining with us at the end of the day. Um, it would be someone else. Um, so they have a certain amount of discretion, but at the end of the day, they do report to either him or the provost. So remember how Chase Harrison mentioned that Zimmer hasn't done a Q&A with students since 2013? So that 2013 event was a forum on the university's changing global role. Before that, Zimmer held a forum in 2011 titled Coffee and Donuts with President Zimmer and another in 2009. Back in 2008, Zimmer even conducted an open forum series sponsored by student government. But it turns out that Zimmer actually has participated in a student forum since 2013. It just took place in a dorm. You know, Zimmer is a guy who doesn't often make appearances in front of the student body. I lived in BJ, that was my dorm, and um, possibly two years ago he made an appearance in, at, at Burton Judson. Um, Burton Judson has this weird relationship where we get important speakers, like we had Dean Boyer, I think, two years, um, last year, and then um, uh, Provost Deermeyer this year. So Burton Judson is a very small dorm, obviously it doesn't, um, and it's very exclusive in terms of the fact that, you know, not every student at this university can go to these events to interact with Zimmer or Deermeyer or Boyer. So this is for students only living in BJ? Yeah. And were they open Q&A sessions? Um, they, there was a short Q&A for these, yeah, I remember. I was able to ask um, both Deermeyer and... Um, and Boyer question when they came to visit. Hmm. So, overall, your reflection on this event? Um, I mean, it was, exciting. it was exciting to me to, you know, get to ask a question to the president of the university, but it was equally disappointing, um, just in the way that he treated me and some of the other students who were asking questions. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, by deflecting and, and not really being as honest and transparent as he could have been, you know, his... Well, maybe he, he was being honest, it's just <laughs> generally not within his jurisdiction. I mean, well, that's, I guess that's, that's where my perception comes in. It came, it came across to me that he, like, he, he could hear GSU, like, chanting outside. It was, you could hear it the entire event. Did he ever um, once address that? Um, I think that... Uh, uh, David Axelrod, who was moderating the event, mentioned at one point that there was some great free speech going on outside, but um, no, Zimmer did not directly address that at all, I don't think. Yeah. I'm Madeline Johnson. I'm a second year in the college studying classics and political science. And why did you attend the event on Thursday? Uh, it was Zimmer's first event in five years. Who could resist that? 
And I really uh, wanted to see how they would adapt the event to respond to the UCPD shooting. And I wanted the chance to ask uh, President Zimmer and Dean Boyer questions about, um, about the shooting for me specifically, but also see how they responded to student questions in general. In particular, you asked about the transparency of the UCPD. Um, yes. What did Zimmer say to you? Uh, his response was um, not what I expected. As I understand, uh, this university's commitment to freedom of speech, it's about more than simply speech. It's about truth finding. It's about rigorous analysis and rigorous intent so that we can bring the best out of each other. And to do that, freedom of information is also essential to that commitment to free speech as the college has communicated to me so many times. To that end, why is the UCPD use of force policy not public, and when are you planning to make it public? Um, I don't know that it's public or not, so... I check, it's not. Okay, uh, when would we can uh, take a look at that? When? We'll take a look at it and, uh, and respond. I think your questions will be good for Thank you. Thank you so much for making my questions good. I hope you take it over. He said he didn't know that the policies were not public. And because I go to the University of Chicago, I'd looked it up beforehand, and I told him that they were not public. And then he said, we'll look into it. And I asked him when, and he said, we'll look into it. Good question, though. How did you feel about that response? I felt that the response was either disingenuous or disappointing, um, because if... It, will, it would be disappointing if you didn't know that the UCPD use of force po policy is not public because he's the president of the university. And although he made some disclaimers later on in the event, when you are president of the university, when you're paid over $3 million every year, you should know things. like What disclaimers did he make later on? Uh, he said later that uh, some people sort of labor under the misconception that a university president knows everything about what's going on with everything that was in response to Michael Weinrub's question about library student unionization. As the university president, I wish he would treat his students in a way that treated us like the adults that we are. Well, he, I mean, this, the response, though, lukewarm, um, did suggest future action. It did. I wish that, I wish that he had been able to say, that we're committed to doing it, we want to do it, we're, we're looking at setting a timeline and we understand that it's a problem. Um, the response came off to me as a little dismissive, um, which I understand was part of how uh, he was trying to move questions along and answer as many questions as possible. But he was also able to linger over uh, the first question about free speech and a later question about the business major. Um, the first question, which was a good question and should not have had less space than it had, took up five minutes. So he asked a question about um, free speech in general, which was thematic to the event, and it was perfect. That, that the answer to the question was very thorough and it lasted a very long time. And uh, when I asked my question about uh, transparency and Michael asked his question about library student unionization, dealing with those questions took maybe two minutes. Um, and I think that although the um, although although President Zimmer can't necessarily like say everything that's going on about all the efforts with things like unionization in the UCPD, he could have taken more than two minutes. 
how do you kind of feel about what happened last Tuesday night? It seems to be the impetus for your question. I, I feel that most of all that it was very sad and that it was preventable. Not because of any, I don't, I'm not interested personally in having a lot of conversations about the specific actions of the specific officer uh, because I don't know what I would do in that situation. I don't think any of us know what we would do. I am interested in why he went to student counseling, was um, probably immediately referred out based on my experiences with student counseling. And um, his, his roommate um, has actually said that he mm -hmm. was referred out yeah. immediately. Yeah, um, they, they do that. When, uh, when, if, when people have larger issues than their budget and staff can handle, they do refer them out. And so I'm interested in why he was referred out. I'm sad about that. I'm angry that um, the university couldn't dedicate um, important resources to student health and counseling. Um, as I think Zimmer or Boyer said at the event, uh, stress is part of our culture. Um, and they know that spring especially is a hard time for students in terms of mental health. And to know that and to not be able to take substantive action on that is extremely troubling. Did they say anything else about the shooting itself? They uh, said that the officer followed protocol, uh, which I believe to be true, but I can only... Was that in response to a student question? No, that was, in, that was a couple of minutes at the beginning of the event, where uh, they generally took some time, which was important and which was good of them to do, to address the recent events before they moved on to the original topic of the event. Um, Did you feel satisfied with that discussion? I understand why that discussion was as limited as it was at the time. I was very angry still, and I still am, and very upset about the shooting and upset about um, the administration's response because I felt like it leaned more on protocol and less on care. Um, and that um, the two-minute discussion at the beginning of this did not do anything to assuage that for me. Um, it was very focused on the officer follow protocol. We're looking into it. Uh, this will be dealt with unless on we know that this is really hurting students. We know that this shouldn't have happened. We know that this student was in a severe mental health crisis. And uh, so that, that upset me at the time and still does. So regardless of the officer's um, individual actions based on his individual training, I, uh, it makes me angry that uh, Charles Thomas did not receive the help he really needed from student counseling and he was failed in that way and that he was failed again on Tuesday night uh, when, when the university's use of force policy, which we know nothing about, created a situation where he was shot. Going back to the question that you asked at Thursday's event, we know nothing about it because it's not public. Mm -hmm. Zimmer told you he'd look into it. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything since then? No. Um, I don't necessarily expect to for a while. Um, I certainly as a person don't expect to. I, uh, the university is not required to make that information public. Um, the law that would have required them to make it public died in committee in 2015 because the university, among other groups with private police forces, were pressuring the Illinois legislature to stop that from happening. Do you have any other 
general reflections on the event? I am glad that the event was not canceled. I am um, very happy that Chase Harrison's work and that was able to stay intact. And I am surprised and delighted that the administration uh, didn't cancel it at all. I thought that um, they handled security around the event relatively well, um, especially given the protest. Uh, it was hard for staff not to be hostile to students, and I think that there was generally a good job of striking that balance. And uh, although I wish the graduate students had been allowed at the event, um, if it is indeed a free speech event, I... Um, what do I, you mean they weren't allowed? I, it was undergraduate only. And uh, two graduate students, uh, I think two, uh, from um, Graduate Students United came in, attempted to come in and... Um, hand-deliver a letter um, demanding to bargain uh, to President Zimmer or to any of the staff in the room. And they were barred from entry and ejected from the building on threat of arrest. Do you think it was productive for GSU to be protesting outside? I think it was. Uh, I think that... I'm glad they were there, because uh, you could hear them very clearly from inside the event. And as Axelrod said, it was a you know, marvelous demonstration of free speech. I think that because President Zimmer rarely holds events and is rarely accountable in a direct way to student uh, views and voices and questions, that it was extremely productive of them to go to where he was and to remind him that... Um, they had not given up. Uh, and I thought it was very, very smart of them to just go right up to the window and uh, yell as loud as they could. So I enjoyed that. I'm Matthew Foldy, fourth year, political science, and now history minor as of today. And I should have been a history major, but that's completely <laughs> irrelevant to this. So, But that's who I am. Why did you attend the event on Thursday? I was extremely excited to hear firsthand from President Zimmer about his view of UChicago and free expression in person because, you know, we've now all read about him and there was an excellent piece in the Wall Street Journal which I think accurately called us, or called us the best university, or the free speech university, obviously. Foldy is referring to a Wall Street Journal opinion piece by Tanku Varajadan published February 16th of this year entitled The Free Speech University. That's us, and then Brett Stevens called us the best university in America, which I also agree with. Um, so I was- And, well, he's an alum, so. Right, well, look, he's a little biased, <laughs> but uh, I think that it was just a great opportunity to hear in person uh, from President Zimmer about why he specifically views this as an issue, but also why it's important to the University of Chicago specifically, which I think he really addressed. Uh, so I was interested in hearing from him I was interested in hearing from Dean Boyer about just more about UChicago. I, I consider myself to be fairly well aware of our history with free expression, but his... Since the history minor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I had never heard about the Walgreens incident affair, whatever you want to call it. If you're interested in learning more about the Walgreens affair, check out Dean Boyer's 2016 memo entitled Academic Freedom in the Modern University. I thought that was a fascinating... Uh, incident, I was surprised I hadn't heard about it. So, you know, I absolutely learned a lot from him. And I, I was excited to hear David Axelrod's point on it. He really 
did end up viewing himself more as a moderator than as a panelist, which he was billed as a moderator, so that makes sense. But he's also been tremendous uh, in supporting free expression on this campus, I think to the chagrin of some on the left, uh, I know, to the chagrin and more annoyance and anger to some on the left, but he's been a very strong advocate for that as well, in, including in the pages of the Maroon. So You had a chance to ask a question, yes, correct? Yes, indeed. So what did you ask? So I've been very interested in our leadership on this outside of the campus, and in the fall we had this conference uh, with presidents and provosts from I think every college in the country and university invited to come to Chicago to talk about this issue, and I understand why it's been very under wraps because a lot of other university administrators will never go on the record about this issue. Um, so I was interested in seeing their vision for their vision for other universities, not that they have responsibility for other universities, but their like where they see other universities going. And if you look at Reed University, one of the most liberal schools in the country, this is a great piece in the Atlantic, also in the news for free expression related reasons, but great piece in the Atlantic. That article, entitled The Surprising Revolt at the Most Liberal College in the Country, ran in the Atlantic this past November. About their freshman class who are standing up to a protest, a year-long protest of their humanities class. They have one required class, which for me, as a student at UChicago, blows my mind. You have one class you have to take. But there have been people trying to shut down their humanities required class for a litany of reasons. And this year's freshman students at Reed said, this is absurd. We're paying tens of thousands of dollars and you're going to prevent us from learning what we're coming here to learn. So I think the oversaturation and the knowledge about free speech conflicts has been on every high schooler's mind as they look to colleges. But uh, So what did it's a long, long answer. the administrative panel have to say when you ask them, basically, where they foresee other universities ending up in the future? So they didn't address too much the specifics of the conference, which I understand why, more from the perspective of, like, allowing for the off-the-recordness with their uh, with their colleagues. So they ended up mostly talking about their vision, as they'd sort of been talking about throughout the event of why UChicago specifically. And I think going back to the Walgreen incident, it's very clear that we've had this history since our founding. Did you feel satisfied with the answer that you yes. got? Yeah. And I just asked because when I was speaking with right. um, Michael and Madeline earlier, you know, they weren't entirely satisfied with the answers that President Zimmer provided. Right. They were asking irrelevant questions to the topic at hand, and I could have answered those questions saying exactly what Zimmer asked. So I don't think they were expecting new information. I think it was more to sort of point out, oh, he didn't answer my question. But look, I mean, we're in ongoing litigation, is my understanding, with the union. So it would be completely irresponsible for President Zimmer to add any new information in an ongoing legal dispute. You know, I, I don't think there's an answer that makes sense to give from the standpoint of the university. I guess my, my question would be more on Madeline's question, which was talking about um, UCPD transparency. Mm -hmm. And Zimmer said that he actually didn't know that the policy wasn't public, mm -hmm. um, the policy outlining UCPD protocol. Did you, you think that question that Madeline asked about why that policy is not yet public was irrelevant at the time? I mean, I think it was relevant at the time because of what's transpired in the past week with the UCPD. So I think that question had more relevance just because, I mean, we started the forum talking about the UCPD. Uh, so I think that had more bearing. 
But I think she was How framing this as a free speech issue, which it's not. Um, like someone in the Maroon article that you already published, someone was saying that, oh, we, it was like the last quote of the article. So you probably remember better than I do. Foldy's referring to a short speech by GSU organizer Claudio Gonzalez, who said that the university would rather uplift someone like Steve Bannon, a white supremacist, than listen to their own graduate students. It's this very edgy thing, lift up the most radical, crazy voices, but they won't recognize us, literally the democratic voice of all these grad students. We've got all these people, an overwhelming majority of graduate students, but they refuse to bargain with us. That's a lack of free speech. He was taught tying unionization into free speech. There was a fundamental misunderstanding of free speech in that just there's no you have the right to advocate for joining a union, but no one has to listen to you. Like, it, not everything that happens on this campus is, you know, applicable through the lens of free speech. I think it's just sort of them trying to make an issue more salient in the current conversation. What do you think about GSU's exercising of free speech outside the event on Thursday? Excellent. I, I, great instance of free speech. And... You know, they should all be happy, as we all are, to live in a country where that dissent is welcome. I mean, I was just watching a film at the IOP about Boris Nemtsov during a fellow seminar, and in Russia, when you're protesting the powers that be, you're liable to die. So, you know, we're all very happy to live in a country that you can protest anything that you want, and you can rest assured that you'll be going home safely. So I, you know, I probably disagree. I mean, I, I absolutely disagree with them. You know, disarm UCPD, abolish UCPD. I don't support probably anything that they're advocating for, but I think that they exercised their First Amendment very responsibly. I, I you know, I wish more people attended. Um, I'd say the room was two-thirds full, just from my guess. I mean, I was sitting towards the front, so I didn't look back too much. But that said, I just think it was a great opportunity. Um, the fact that any administrator would say one thing that President Zimmer said, you'd be hard-pressed to find university administrators saying 1% of what he said in support of free speech. So just the fact that he said all of those things, like the fact that that is remarkable just points to the sad state of academia today. I mean, find me university presidents who would give such a robust defense of free expression. I mean, look at Northwestern, would President Shapiro say any of that? Maybe he'd say a little bit of it, but he called U Chicago a home of idiots and retrogrades when he was talking about Dean Ellison's letter on uh, safe spaces. So you'd be hard-pressed to find administrators who would say things as clearly and well-argued as President Zimmer, so I was very pleased. Well, I wonder if President Shapiro would maybe have more answers about why certain police policy is or is not transparent, or maybe would have more answers for, for graduate students, but in just talking... I mean, look, go to a forum with President Shapiro on their police or their grad students. I, I don't know. Go ask him. In talking with Chase, Michael, and Madeline earlier today, I think something that they found ironic was that this is really the first time, even you and I are sitting here both mm -hmm. fourth years, that... 
we've had this opportunity with President Zimmer and all, all our four years here. Meanwhile, Zimmer has gone to speak at Colgate, at Columbia. You know, why is this the first time he's... And, I, of course, I can't ask you to speculate, right, but I don't know. It, it, it is interesting. I, I venture a guess that previous student governments of UChicago were not interested in uh, meeting with him about free expression. I'm just going to go out on a limb there. But... You know, Would you encourage Zimmer or anyone who's listening from the administration to maybe host a similar event again in the future? Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please check out our Maroon Weekly Megapod, released this morning. Thanks to Chase Harrison, Michael Weinreb, Madeline Johnson, Matthew Foldy, Ben Kent, and the entire Logan Cage staff. And last but not least, light of my life and my podspiration, Catherine McDonald. 